This is Unplugged, a series of conversations with creative minds from the design industry and beyond, hosted by H&H. Hello, everyone. Today we have Sabine Mestales, one of the hottest names in the collectible design scene from the Netherlands with us. So hello, Sabine. How are you today? Hi, Yoko. I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for making time. I know this is a very busy time for you. So where are you at today? Um, I'm in Rotterdam, the Netherlands, um, my home. Saturday morning. Um, yeah, taking it easy nice. today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I really like the painting. Yeah, it's a, it's a mural by a friend of ours, uh, wow. Thomas Trum. He oh, came yeah, here and did it by hand. Oh, cool. Quite awesome to watch. Yeah, so I think we last spoke like in August 2020. So it feels like a very long time. How is things going for you? Um, Yeah, you know, like everyone adapting to this crazy new reality. Work-wise, I have a lot of really exciting, fun projects, which I'm super grateful for. Obviously, a lot of the projects surrounding installation stuff that would be happening during fairs um, all got put on hold but at the same time definitely seen some kind of a increase in like private commissions um, people with like beautiful homes that want something special there also yeah a few really big projects in in Asia super diverse actually a lot of different things going on more interior big projects um, and also some um, completely no clients just private passion work for for my for myself as well oh well we would we would love to hear more about the private work i think that would be the interesting <laughs> things to to look into so i noticed that um, your collaboration with ikea has been a very hot topic these days i think this is something very new for you as well and it, it is going to be launched next week in the market um, right? yeah it's I think it's sort of just trickling in in different sort of timing um, for different countries. I saw that it's already available in some countries um, and others it's going to take a bit longer. But in general, it's from like now until May um, being launched in, in different countries. Yeah. But it's, cool. yeah, no, I'm really excited about it. It's definitely a very different way of working than I'm used to. But yeah. it's been a it's been a good challenge in that sense as well. Really having yeah. to think about design um designing from a very different perspective yeah that's the exact question I, I would like to talk to you about so you work with some of the biggest design galleries around the world and you also work a lot with like designer brands like established and sons and cc tapis and the audience are very targeted and high-end so but for ikea this project is completely at the other end of the design market spectrum so how is it like for you? What's, are there any differences in terms of your creative process and how, how do you, um, what's your experience with different clients in different sectors and the audience as well? Yeah, I think I've been very lucky actually to have always been able to just design from, um, from a fascination point of view and working with expensive materials, um, expensive production processes. And I've never really had you know, a price point in mind at, at the end of the trip that it's just, you know, the object or the installation becomes what it is and, and we roll with that. Um, obviously working 
towards a, an object that can be available for a much wider audience, it meant that it really had to be a, a, a very affordable price point. So when I was first asked or first approached by IKEA, you know, I did have to think about it for a minute, like, oh my God, how do I translate my way of working? And I always try to capture like a moment of wonder or some magic. And how do you put that in a 30 euro object? And obviously I also think when you're designing something that's going to be mass produced at this scale, the materiality is very important as well. And I for sure didn't want it to be like a cheap commercial version of, of my gallery work. Um, and in no way did I want to include any kind of um, like resins or plastics in this lamp. So then the challenge was really, okay, how do we create a light object that still has this wow moment? Just a lot of experimenting with, um, in the beginning it was paper. So we, I actually wanted to make the lamp out of paper to begin with. Um, just a single sheet, also, you know, making it as little um, resources needed to create the item. So just one sheet and how do you create an interesting lighting effect? with that sheet. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up with slashing the sheet so that the light can escape through that, um, that one slash and also bounce back off the wall um, from behind, around the circle. That, that's what it ended up being. Great. I can't wait to see the actual object. <laughs> it, um, yeah. the, for sure, the main concept around it was to, to be able to change the atmosphere of a space with just mm -hmm. a single pressing of a button which changes the color and that that this this object can have much more of an effect than just be a sculpture or light on the wall it can yeah be dynamic in the environment as well great you mentioned something very interesting i think sustainability is very a very important aspect of your work and it's also a very big topic now in the design or creative scene so through your project with ikea so can we say that sustainability can also achieved in such a big, I mean, mass market brand or company? What's your I think experience? It's, it, it's a very uh, big uh, part of IKEA's ethos, actually. They're, you know, really trying to create um, or be responsible because, you know, they, they're such a big player in the design world. So everything they put out needs to be designed in a conscious way. Um, and I, I very much respect that about them. And they have really a long-term plan that, you know, with goals that, that every can, everything can be returned and reused. Um, so I think that's really great. And yeah, of course, there's always going to be elements that are not going to be recyclable, reusable right now. But to have that vision for the future, I think, is extremely important. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're, we all have to do our little part to contribute to a better future. For so, sure. So you also work with a lot of fashion brands like, well, just name a field, like Burberry, Chipanchi, Celine, and of course, Fendi. And I remember I did the first interview with you exactly for the project you, you were working with uh, Fendi at that time for Design Miami. So can you tell us about, because I think that's one of the best examples of how you work with colors and materials. And it's also fascinating that how you incorporate water into your work. So as, as, as a material of yeah. the whole co-design. So can, can you tell us something about that project? Yeah, of course. Yeah, the, the way that I work or the thing that makes me tick is to, to really play with the interaction of light and, and materials that have the ability to be 
transparent, opaque, um, you know, all levels in between um, that can have a reflection or a shadow. I think that's the most interesting thing to design around, all those interactions with materials that can do that, which is also the reason why I work a lot with cast resins and glass, because those are materials that can be manipulated in, in that manner. So yeah, I use light as a design tool. I use color as a design tool. And I think when when Fendi approached me to um, design an installation for their 10-year anniversary of them collaborating with Design Miami, I 100% didn't want to create a furniture range. I thought that was just really not inspiring, not challenging and not sort of forward thinking in, in any way. It would be more of a... Um, repeating what's already been done in the past years. And I always want to be pushing forward and creating something that surprises people. And, and, you know, there is definitely a design language I use, but I do hope with each new project that I, I create something that people are not expecting. So with Fendi, uh, I dug into their brand history and the, this theme of water kept popping up. So then I was like, oh my God, I need to design with water because if you think about it, water is, it's just like glass and resin. It's, it's transparent. It's, it, you can also tint it. Well, there's, you know, it, it reflects, there's ripples. There's so much going on with water, um, depending on how it's used, how it's moving. And I think this element of motion was super exciting for me because that adds a new tool to design with. How does how does water flow? Um, how do you shape water? That's also the name of the, the installation in the end, the shapes of water. So then the challenge was to create 10 fountains, which all deal with water in, the, in a different way. So they all shape water in, in a very different way. And water interacts with the, um, with the fountain itself, which is also made from resin in different tints. Um, and the colors I used were very much also um, taken from the Fendi world. So that I think, yeah, I think the, the collaboration was really an example of how a brand and a designer can come together and create something bigger than separately. I sometimes think that designer collaborations with brands can just become a watered down version of, of a designer's um, vision, but it can also really become something more. And I, I really feel that that's what happened with the, with the Fendi project. I don't think I would have done it in that way at all if, if I was just a designer fountain myself. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, yeah, yeah it, it was, was really two worlds yeah. meeting. It was really beautiful. And I really like when you walk around all the fountains and the, like the experience and the relationship you develop with the flow and everything. It was just so beautiful. No, oh, good to hear. <laughs> And I noticed that you you recently also did like a fountain installation in Shanghai too. Is that right? Uh, it's not unveiled yet. So this is a project ah. in the making. <laughs> we're, uh, cool, cool. we're currently um, still working on it mm -hmm. and expecting it to be finished within, within 2021. But yeah, it's a, it's a big project. They're well, very, very forward. big fountains. And it's, so. it, it would be like a permanent installation. Exactly. Yeah. So really a, a different, different scale, different country, different scenario. And yeah, very cool. And I'm very humbled that, that they commissioned me to do this project there. But I will tell you more about it when, yeah. when there's keep more us, available. Keep <laughs> <laughs> yes, please do. I really want to see that. 
And um, also I noticed that you have been doing quite a lot of architectural interventions these years. And can you tell us something about that project too? Because it's, it was kind of a challenging scenario. Yeah, absolutely. There was also a fountain in there, actually. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Love, it. Love, lo- everything can be a fountain. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, to be honest, I, uh, I was speaking with my gallerist in Barcelona, Luis Sandino from Side Gallery, yeah. and he asked me what my, my dream project would be. And it was wow. almost a joke because I was, you know, like a solo show in the Barcelona Pavilion. And then... It, you know, he somehow made it happen. Um, wow, amazing. So, yeah, I was like, oh my God, wow, really? They, they, they would like me to take on this, you know, insanely iconic architectural gem, yeah. which is, it's completely, it, it's perfect as is. I feel like kind of touching it is already doing an injustice to the, to the architecture. Mm. So yeah, it took a, a long time um, to really be able to define exactly how and what should be placed in this installation. And in the end, it, it became um, also a very limited um, amount of pieces um, I designed for the, for the installation. There were two chaise longs, a light uh, and a fountain, and that was it. I wanted to keep it really minimal so it wasn't you know, going to be overbearing on the pavilion itself but really also celebrating the materiality of the pavilion. So the project was called No Fear of Glass and all the design pieces were made from glass. This was kind of a nod to the brief that Mies van der Rohe originally got, which was not to use too much glass. And yeah, the project really celebrates the architectural planes and how do you translate that into furniture pieces. Um, so the chaise long is really the, the travertine floor is almost being pulled up and then the marble wall has been pulled out or the colors have been um, almost stretched out of the wall and inter- intersecting with the travertine and that becomes the chaise long. And for the fountain, um, you know, there's these two big pools in the pavilion, which are very much part of the architecture. So I also wanted to treat the water as a material in this project. And again, it's about um, pulling the water up and letting it overflow and just yeah, it was about extruding wow. the architecture and, and making it into functional elements. It's great. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And how about the study center at the, in the ah, Rotterdam? Yes. So here in Rotterdam, um, the National Archive of Architecture and Design is housed in Het Nieuw Instituut, uh, which is um, a building just over there. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and they have this really amazing archive that anyone can access to get to this, uh, you know, big archive of architecture. But the space itself is very dated, very heavy, a lot of this black, heavy USM furniture. And I was asked to update it to make it a more pleasant space to study in and to, yeah, just to give it a bit of a, a facelift. Completely didn't want to make something like wipe everything that's there away and you know, plop down my design. I think there's always a sense of respect that you need to have for what's already there and the original architect's vision. So, um, and also for a sustainability sense, actually, I don't want to just throw away everything that's there that still functions fine. So all this really, in my opinion, USM furniture is, it's 
it's genius. It's such an amazing system just in the space because there was not so much natural light coming in. The, the black surfaces on the USM furniture made it just very heavy. So instead of getting rid of all of that, I simply changed the material into this transparent glass with a color wash going through it. And it, it just brought, it brings so much light back into the space, Um, but it can still be used um, essentially this, the same way as it was before, but optimized. So that was, yeah, that was kind of my, my intervention in in this space. And yeah, also um, adding some new, um, more, sort of casual areas with couches mm-hmm. so that you can study and sit in a, in a bit more of a casual manner than only behind tables. Mm-hmm. So when you approach a space, it's very important for you to have the correct lighting and the throat of energy or space or movement. I think that's correct? what makes... How do you approach a space? I think that's what makes um, a space pleasant to be in or not, the way that the light hits it or the way that it, it evolves during the day. Um, or the yeah the temperature of of artificial light used can really have such an impact on your mental and emotional um, yeah. state when you're in in a space. Also, with the study center, we actually it wasn't part of the brief at all, but we ended up ripping out part of the facade and replacing it with glass so that more oh, wow. natural light could come in as well. And even okay. just that already was ninety percent of the job done. I feel like just mm. letting the light come in and and making it pleasant in that sense. Yeah, especially for times like this, we really need that positive energy flowing in the space. And the light is really important. 100%. Cool. I remember you told me you're experiencing with some new materials that you haven't been using so far. So what's the developments there? Will we see something from you? Yeah, I mean, I'm always developing different experiments within materials. They just pop out in projects whenever they're ready. Uh, So, yeah, I can't really give you like one concrete (laughs) example right now, but definitely more with metals and also wood, actually. Oh, Um, nice. Yeah. I mean, I think people obviously know my work from from resin and glass, but Mm -hmm. it's not that's not I don't want to be sort of boxed into just that material yeah. it's it can be much broader as well yeah I'm I'm for sure experimenting more with with those materials too now so last questions for you I know that you're part of a charity project 19 chairs and yes, there will be an auction very soon in May can you tell us what would you have been doing for this charity and what uh, what how, how do you want people to part- participate uh yeah so 19 chairs um i was approached by uh tom and will will butterfield already quite some time ago yeah time is all like blending into nothingness <laughs> yes. now i have to like dig back into my brain what we did <laughs> um well essentially they made 19 very um simple wooden chairs made from um wooden beams and then asked 19 different designers and artists to um, customize it in their own way. Uh, so for um, the chair that I got, it was a very simple intervention to make it more comfortable, which was the addition of a, a rubber layer over um, the seated uh, section and the back section. Just a little touch from, from each designer. And then the, it, yeah, they will be auctioned off um, which I think is amazing. I think all, 
there's a lot of auctions happening lately and I feel like it's 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 such a good initiative because you know there's a lot of people that are in very difficult times at the moment um, yeah. and if we can you know partake in in this way yes. I, I think that's amazing also a few years ago um, Maria Cristina Diderot and Libby Sellers um, in, initiated another charity auction asking different designers to make holiday gifts and then all the all the proceeds went to homeless people in London um, yeah uh, also the um just uh, actually yesterday um i or a new collection of wallpapers was released by calico wallpaper um and i created one of those as well um as well as dimore studio and um yeah just i think it's it's great that even with something like that uh, uh, some of the proceeds are going to charity as well so i think we have to keep yeah, we have to keep charities in mind continuously in this industry because, yeah, we 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 create items that people want to buy, so mm. it can it can be the proceeds can always be shared with with others that are less fortunate. Yes, that's very true. I think also in the past years we all have time to reflect on our work and to see how we can contribute to the community. So I think this is a great way to for, for designers or artists or like. All kind of creative to to give the two cents into absolutely yeah absolutely great thank you so much sabine for the chat it's always nice speaking with you and look Likewise. forward for all the new works that's <laughs> great yeah. cool. nice to speak with you yoko thank you thank you bye see bye. you next time ciao